Welcome to Empowered Owners, the podcast that takes you inside Empowered Ventures. I'm your host, Chris Fredericks. In each episode, I'll have a discussion with one of our employees to discover and highlight their distinct personalities, perspectives, and skills, while also keeping you in the loop with exclusive news, updates on company performance, and a glimpse into the future plans of Empowered Ventures. This is an opportunity for me to learn more about our amazing employee owners and an opportunity for you to hear regularly from me and others from within Empowered Ventures. On this episode of Empowered Owners, I'm talking with David Tenney, one of the founders of First Star Precision and the sole owner who decided to sell First Star to Empowered Ventures. After spending five years in the military, mostly stationed in Europe, Dave took a job as a machinist, which he'd been trained to do in high school and was the same occupation as his dad and brother. We'll dive into the story of how Dave came to business ownership, how his military experience changed his life, and how he thinks about leadership and building great relationships at work. I'm excited for this chance to feature Dave, the owner of our first diversifying acquisition, and someone with tremendous integrity who has worked incredibly hard for his customers, his employees, and his family. With that, let's get to my conversation with Dave. David Tenney, welcome to Empowered Owners. Thank you for having me. So I've been excited to have this conversation with you. Obviously, we've gotten to know each other pretty well over these last few years. And there's a lot about your story that I feel like I know, but there's a lot I feel I'm not sure I know. And one of the things that an area that you've mentioned and has intrigued me, but we've never really dove into is your military experience and your background. And I know that kind of came not too long before First Star being founded. So I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about your military experience, maybe from the beginning. From the beginning, I graduated in 1984 from high school. I started taking some college courses at Corning Community College, and I was working. Some of the machines you own now are called Hardings. That's the machine brand, and that's who I actually worked for straight out of high school. But the economy at the time was in really poor shape, and I ended up getting laid off. And there was other jobs that I could find, but nothing really excited me. And because of maybe some other personal experiences, difficulties I was going through, my brother had just finished a two-year stint in the Army in a, a completely different field. It was an option, and so I decided to join. One of the greatest decisions I've ever made, by far. My parents did a great job raising me, disciplined, great work ethic, but I wasn't, I wasn't ready to be really be an adult yet. And that's what the military did for me. There were so many intangibles that you get going through a basic training and being part of that kind of an organization that there's no question. It's one of the biggest things that created who I am today. Just that understanding that you can achieve anything if you try hard enough. And it really teaches you that, that you don't really have limits unless you put limits in place yourself. I had great experiences. I went through basic training in, in uh, MLS training in Fort uh, Benning, Georgia. So I was down there for 13 weeks. And then immediately after that, I went to jump school in Fort Bragg, uh, which was six weeks. And then I was immediately relocated to Europe, to Germany. What an experience. A, being in a different country and experiencing all that, that Europe represents. It's a 2,000 plus year old world. 
And then I had the opportunity to do a lot of unique things. I was on the USURE rifle team for a couple of years. One year I was an M60 machine gunner. And the second year I was on the M16 team. Um, and the second year on the M16 team was when we won USURE. I had a chance, General Powell was the USURE commander at the time. So I had a chance to meet him. He gave me an accommodation, ARCOM, my time on the rifle team. We get to flow and fly in his personal chopper. So those are some of the things that 30 years, 40 years ago still is a strong memory. And I got to see most of Europe when I got transferred back to the States. It was a little different world. Uh, I was stationed in Fort Polk, Louisiana. And the sense of urgency, the sense of responsibility was quite a bit different. So I originally I thought I'm going to do this for at least 20 years. But once I got the experience of the stateside service, it was, it wasn't the same and, and I really struggled with it. So right after desert storm, I had the opportunity to exit early and I did that was 1991. So I served five years, loved every second of it. Don't regret a minute. I know it uh, definitely has made who I am today. Originally I was, um, I, this is going back a few years, so I have a hard time remembering, but I was just a regular infantry rifleman. We did have an armored vehicle. It was a personnel carrier. And then before I left Europe, I transferred or the entire unit was retrained on the Bradley fighting vehicles, which also is an armored personnel vehicle. So it carried uh, a squad within the vehicle, but it had a lot more weaponry and armory armor. So I did get a chance to become 11 Mike, which was mechanized inventory. Mm. Um, and then when I transferred back to uh, Fort Polk, I ended up working the entire time I was there, which was close to two years or a little over a year, I ended up working in the uh, division headquarters under G3, which was the operations. What years were you stationed in Germany? 85 to 90. As a matter of fact, a year before the Berlin Wall came down, I had the opportunity to visit East Berlin. Real rare opportunity. I got, it was a chance because I had won division soldier of the quarter. So I always found ways to exceed in those things. And yet I toured East Berlin when the wall was still up. And it was, again, one of those experiences you'll never forget. What did you do to win soldier of the quarter? It starts out as soldier of the month for your local battalion, and then you advance to, to division soldier of the month and a, uh, soldier of the quarter. And I ended, I ultimately became the division soldier of the year, but lost to the next round. You had to be very, you had to study a lot. You had to know everything about the flag, everything about the equipment, everything about the enemy's equipment. You need to be able to identify. You had to have all the understanding of military procedures and protocols and things like that. You sat in front of a, a panel of uh, high-ranking non-commissioned officers and you go through questions and it all depends on how well you answer the questions and present yourself. And, and I did really well at it. I was good at, uh, good at it. I did that for about a year and a half where it was one stage after the next. That's really neat. What drove you to excel at that in particular at that point? I was told I had to do it. When it first started at the company level, they picked one person from each squad, four squads. And I was told that you're going to do this. And I just found that it fit me very well, that I could present myself as a good soldier. 
And that's really what it was about. What if you hadn't gone into the military? What do you think you would have done? I don't, I would hate to answer that question because I wasn't on a great path. I just lacked focus. I lacked maturity, made a lot of poor decisions. By then my parents were a bit older and I was last of four children. So they were tired and yeah, I just, I was making a lot of poor decisions and I wasn't, I, I just couldn't commit to anything. Did you have a sense and come to the military approach on your own or was that strongly encouraged by anybody or like, how did that really come about? My brother was the first one to go into the military in our family. My dad couldn't serve because he, he lost an eye when he was little. My older brother didn't choose that route. My uh, second to oldest brother did serve for two years. He was in Europe. And, and it, it was getting to the point where I either had to get in the military and get away from what I was involved with, or I could have ended up just as easy. I could have ended up in jail. Uh, I guess I should back up because when I was a senior in high school, I had actually joined the military with a delayed start, with a delayed entry. And when I graduated, I had gotten this job from Hardings and it was a good job. And my dad actually stepped up and said, look, he's not going. He's got a good job and he's just not going to go in. And they said That's, that happens. And then it was a year later that I re-enlisted or not re-enlisted, but I went through it again. What about leadership? Did you learn anything about leadership in the military? I struggled as a leader. That was probably one of the biggest negative comments that were always made because I was in a leadership position as a corporal, as an E4 corporal. And I, my, the biggest complaint that I was uh, given is I didn't lead it was easier for me to just do it myself or to avoid the conflict or the argument or whatever. I just do it myself and that's not leadership. So that taught me what leadership really was and that you did have to, you couldn't just lead by example that you, at times you had to lead by voice. I have to give a lot of, uh, a lot of credit to the leaders that I had more mature people that taught me to be a, a quiet, firm, respectful leader. So I think maybe for some people, if they think about leadership in the military, an easy stereotypical idea could come to mind of a, a loud commander barking orders, yelling, screaming. I guess I'm curious if that's a any kind of a real st a stereotype at all. And also you just mentioned some leaders that didn't sound like that. So I'm curious what you think about that. There was those leaders that were very gung-ho that were very, they were so committed that they were loud and they were forceful. And that's just not a style that I picked up. I was more in one person that comes in mind. His name's Brian Cram. He was my uh, squad leader when I first, when we were on the rifle team together. And I probably got more from him as far as how to be a leader, how to be a, a he made you do your job and do it right but he never yelled and screamed at you. He found a way to, to motivate you to want to do your job. And I give him a lot of credit for that. That's amazing. And then I know you and obviously Jack West and you have worked at First Star together for a long time. And Jack has some military experience as well. Do you, did you guys find that was a good kind of shared set of values that you would draw from together? Probably not until after we knew each other for a while. We both knew we were in the military, 
But we did quickly start to see we had common characteristics when it came to work ethic, uh, commitment, believing that if you work hard enough, you can do anything. Both of us, we became machinists and then eventually leaders, considerate manufacturing engineers. And we did it without professional training. We did it from learning from the people that we were lucky to be surrounded with. Is there anything else about your experience in the military that you think was really important and informative ultimately and in how First Star ended up becoming what First Star is today? The way that First Star started and the way that the opportunity arised, had I not had the belief that I could do anything, if I put my mind to it, it probably wouldn't have worked. Because in the beginning, I was the workhorse. I had a great partner who managed the business and worked on the sales side. But when it came to actually functioning the company, I was the workhorse. And I never questioned whether I could do it or not. I just, I always felt that I could do anything I put my mind to. And it, it worked out well. Yeah. I wanted to dig into the founding of the beginning of First Star in the early years and it sounds to me, and from what I've gathered, that it was a risk for you to take on. I mean, that it was a big commitment to to start this business from scratch, I imagine, in a lot of different ways. But it sounds like you didn't feel, Did you? were you scared? What was that like starting First Star? I don't think I was smart enough to be scared. I worked for a machine shop for nine years. I learned a lot there. I eventually moved up into the production manager position. So from 96 to 99, I was thrown into that running the business part of it. And at the same time, Jack Horseman, who had a lot of different careers, he's 20 years older than I am. He was their salesman. And when First Star it was determined that they were going to eventually close their doors, of course, I, I immediately went out and found another job. And at the same time, my wife was having our first baby. So February 19th, our oldest daughter was born. And March 17th was my last day at the Diamond K Industries. And I was supposed to start the 20th at another company called High Production. The 18th, Jack Horseman called me in the morning and said, all I'm asking is you meet with this guy for, for a couple hours and let's talk about what opportunities may be available. I, I had nothing. Uh, I owned nothing. I had no money and no savings. So yeah, we were, so for me, the risk was, I knew I could get a job anywhere. Mm -hmm. So the risk was, uh, am I going to waste my time? So we met with, his name was Tom Penalino and he was the financial support. So Tom decided that he would put in so much money that Jack and I was responsible for putting in a much lower, smaller amount. And we started first hour with $300,000. Um, and Jack and I were 20% owners. Tom owned 60%. Uh, and that's how it started. We were fortunate because the year 2000, the economy was not great. And, but we were fortunate that Diamond K was closing and we knew companies were looking to have this work done. They needed somebody. And we were able to pick up a couple of the customers right away. And I, I could go on for hours telling you these unique stories where we incorporated March 30th and our first employees started May 1st. We had our equipment and building and stuff by May 1st. But early April, one of our customers, which is Parker Hannafin, it's a pretty big a pretty big customer company 
there was this part that Diamond K made and they couldn't find anybody else to make it. So he, so the buyer was like, if I give you an order, can you get it done? So this first order that we processed, I had different companies doing different parts of the order just to be able to satisfy that. Um, they've been a steady customer ever since. And then another unique one was the buyer at Stanley Assembly Technologies, who's always been our number one and number two account. We had a really good relationship with the buyer. He was leaving Stanley and he was going to go somewhere else. The day before he left, he assigned this new company, First Star, a vendor number. And had he not assigned us that vendor number before the day before he left, we would have probably never done work for Stanley. But because we had that vendor number and we had history on some of the parts, they gave us a shot and, and we proved ourselves. Why did he do that? Him and Jack Horseman had a very good relationship, similar ages. As a matter of fact, I just talked to him this morning. His name's Mike Verricchio, and he eventually did go back to Stanley. It's hard to find that relationship where there's trust on both sides. And he trusted us and we trusted that he would do right by us. And he got the same thing in return. And that's with every customer. But that's what we give our customers is the trust that we're going to treat them consistently. We're never going to go too high. We're never going to go too low. We have a job to do. We have to make money to do our jobs. They had the same thing. And our customers, I think, always feel like they, they're getting the right treatment every time, not just sometimes. What would you say some of the other pivotal decisions in the early years were that ended up leading to what First Try is today? Let me back up. Diane Bocar, who I think you just finished her podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Diane came on board right away because she was friends with Tom Penalino and she had a, an accounting background. So she was just going to get us set up, work part-time for a few weeks until we found some other solution. Here she is 23 years later, right? And has been, so I would say the first pivotal decision was bringing her on board. And then within the first year we had brought Jack West on board. And it's funny with Jack West because we were, he was really taking over my primary job, which was running the machines. So I had, I, I had some reservations with that. And what he said to us was, look, this is what I'm looking for. I realize it's, it's, it's high end of what you were hoping to pay, but hire me and I'll prove it. I'll prove that I'm worth every penny. Give me a shot. And that's all I ask. And we did. And again, one of those pivotal decisions that, wow, worked out very well. Mm. So people, sounds like people were some of the main decisions in hindsight, the right people at the right time. Whether it's employees or customers, it's all about people and it's about relationship. I could go into, yeah, we had this opportunity to buy this machine or we bought a, a smaller company at one point in the early years. There was, so there was a lot of what would be considered pivotal decisions, but the ones that really stick with me is the relationships. You mentioned Jack Horseman, and I, I've gathered that he was someone really learned a lot from or looked up to. What do you think about in terms of Jack Horseman and just what, what qualities come to mind, values, et cetera? We were really two different people. He was a salesman by heart. 
So he was all about the bragging, the bigger than life, you know, sell 10 times what you are. So we weren't the same that way because I'm much more down to earth. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of us, a lot of parts of us that were completely different. But on the other side, he was a father figure to me. There's no question that he he cared for me like I was his son and I cared for him like he was our my father. And we just had a great working relationship. You're lucky to have one person in your career that you had that type of relationship with where you can be screaming at each other's at the top of your lungs one minute and hugging and telling him I love him the next minute. And I'm fortunate that I've had met multiple times with Jack Horseman or Jack West, or previously I mentioned Brian Cram in the military. I've been very fortunate over my career that I've had great people to work with. Wow. I wonder if it's not easy to find that. Any tips or thoughts around how people in the middle of their career, if they don't feel like they have that kind of a person in their life or people in their life, like how to find that? I would say they probably do have that person in their relationship, in their life. They just haven't really figured it out yet, or they haven't put enough effort into it mm -hmm. because it is a two-way street. And I think that a lot of my success can, has to do with being consistently honest, truthful, and that my word has value. First Star has a certain level of respect because for so many years, for close to 25 years, we've just been consistent. We've done what we said we would do. We've done it fairly. We've done it respectfully. We've never tried to hide anything or lie or steal. If you lose that unconditional trust, it's hard if you could ever get it back. Our customers for consistently will just give us an order and say, let me know what the price is. Uh, you don't get that very much, but they trust us that we're always going to be fair, that we're always going to earn the money we deserve, but nothing more than that. And it's been consistently successful. That's amazing. Dave, this has been such a terrific conversation. My last question for you is, is there anything that you would want to say to your people at First Star? Advice for the future? Just Anything on your mind around your, the first star employees and also our general employee owners at, at Empowered Ventures, just any advice or, or thoughts for them? As far as the first star employees, do what they've always done. And that those are the Jack and I, Jack West and I, those are our basic rules. No lying, no cheating, no stealing. Own up to who you are and what you do and that just be consistent. And I think any employee in any job, whether it's TVF, or Paramount or First Star or any of the other companies that, you know, eventually fall under empowered, just live up to what you do, what you say you're going to do and do it. That, that should be a general advice for any employee, whether you're young or old, experienced, inexperienced, just do what you do and do it as what best you can. And that's the same thing I tell my kids, just do the best you can and own what you do. Outstanding. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Chris. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dave. Dave is someone I look up to and respect deeply, and I'll be forever grateful and honored that he selected Empowered Ventures to be First Star's home for the future. 
Thank you, Dave, for joining me and First Stars Jack West and Mark Lisi for suggesting topics for the discussion. Huge thank you as well to Emily Bope and the team at Share Your Genius for producing this episode. Remember, we want to hear from you. Please give us feedback, suggest guests and topics for future episodes, and tell us how we can keep improving the show. To reach us, email hello at empowered.ventures. Thanks for tuning in.